0: Well, if you will remain standing, we're, we're coming to uh, John 3 in our series through Go- John's Gospel. And today we have a Pharisee who approaches Jesus by night. And it's a story we want to pay attention to because Jesus talks about the way to eternal life. And so we need to pay attention. So if you have your Bibles or if you just want to look up on the screens... Hear the word of the Lord for us today. It's John 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, this is the word of God for us this morning. You may sit down as we pray, and children, if you are still in the service, you may be excused to continue your worship in Hope Kids. So let's pray together as we seek to understand God's word. Father in heaven, we are amazed when we look at your word and the riches contained in it. We are amazed that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray by the power of your spirit that you would do that today. I ask that in your spirit's power, you might bring to life someone today who is dead through the preaching of your word, and that you might, for all of us, help us to know you better. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in my basement on the couch, and I smelled something. I smelled some sulfur or rotten eggs. It wasn't the greatest smell. I knew enough to know that this could be Natural gas, you know, they put this chemical in natural gas so that you can smell it. And so I know enough about what I don't know in home repair to know I needed to call a plumber in this situation. And so I called the plumber, and he tested right where I was sitting. And sure enough, in the gas pipe, there was a leak. But then he went to another part of our basement, and he tested the pipe there. Sure enough, it was leaking there as well. Then what he did is he tore into our ceiling. And he tested the pipe there. And, and you could guess it, it, it was leaking there as well. And so what I was hoping for being just a simple patch, a simple solution, he's, this is the solution he gave. He said, you can't trust any of it. The whole system is bad. You need all new piping. You need a whole new system. That wasn't the solution that I was going for in that moment. Well, when it comes to approaching a holy God, when it comes to having a relationship with him, many times we think it's just a, it could be a simple fix. We just need to stop doing some of this and start doing some of that. We, we think that maybe there's just a few little tweaks needed. But what we're gonna learn in John chapter three is that we don't just need a few little tweaks. We need a whole overhaul of our system. We need a dramatic change. And that's what God is going to show us in his word today. Because in today's passage, Jesus is going to show us if we want to spend eternity with God, these minor tweaks, these small repairs aren't enough. We need a complete overhaul. And so that leads us to the main point of today's message, kind of the main theme that the rest of the message will fit under, and it's this. Only Jesus can show us how to enter The kingdom of God. Only Jesus can show us how to enter the kingdom of God. And from our text in John 3, three uh, realities, three truths about entering the kingdom of God become very clear. The first reality is that fascination with Jesus is not enough. That's in verses one and two. The second reality is that unless you are born again, you cannot enter. That's in verses three to eight. And the third reality is unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot enter. So let's look at that first point, that first reality, that fascination with Jesus is not enough to enter God's kingdom. If you remember last week at the very end of the chapter, there was this curious little narrative that John put in. He said that many when they saw the miracles, the signs that Jesus was doing, many believed in his name. But Jesus, for himself, did not entrust himself to those people. And what John was showing there is there are some people that had incomplete faith. They had not genuine faith in Jesus. Sure, they saw some of his signs, they, they believed some things about him, but they didn't have true belief in Jesus. And what John is doing now is he's linking the end of that narrative to this one and he's showing one of those people that has this less than genuine faith that knows something about Jesus, believes something about Jesus, but doesn't truly believe. And that person is surprisingly a Pharisee. It's Nicodemus. And we need to pay attention because normally in scripture, Pharisees don't have a great relationship with Jesus. Most of the time when Pharisees confront Jesus, it's because they're trying to trap him, or they're trying to catch him in what he says, or they're trying to even kill him. But this is a different Pharisee. Nicodemus is different. He's coming, and he wants to have a rational conversation with Jesus. Now, granted, he's, a, he's coming at night. He doesn't really want to identify with Jesus. He's coming secretly. He doesn't want his colleagues to know. He doesn't want other people to know that he's coming. But he shows that he's different than some of the Pharisees. He shows Jesus a sign of respect. He calls him a rabbi. He as a rabbi is calling Jesus a rabbi. He's saying, I respect you. He's saying that he and some of the Pharisees know that he's come from God because of all the miracles he's doing. He's showing him some respect, but he still shows that he has more to learn. So look at verse 1 again. It says this, There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with them. And so, as we said, he's showing this honor to Jesus. He's recognized Jesus as a unique kind of teacher. He is fascinated with Jesus. Now, speaking of fascination with someone, I wonder if you've ever heard of the story of Charles Blondin. Now, Blondin, sometimes he's just called Blondin, he was a tightrope walker. He was very famous in the mid-1800s. He became famous because in 1859, in the summer of 1859, he stretched a tightrope over the Niagara Falls. And 160 feet up and about 1,100 feet long, He walked across on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And not only that, he walked across it. He rode a bike across it. He cooked on a stove across it. He walked backwards and forwards. He even took a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. This had a lot of fascination with people. (laughs) People were intrigued. Some estimate that 100,000 people came to see this happen. There wasn't TV back then, so you kind of had to watch these kind of things. And so as he came across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, he's 160 feet up. If he falls, he's going to die. He's in a, he, he came through with a wheelbarrow, and he gets to the side, and he says to the people, do you think I can walk across the Niagara Falls again with a wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yes, you can do it. We believe in you. And then he said, well, whoever thinks I can do it, why don't you get in the wheelbarrow with me? (laughs) And you know what? He had zero takers. (laughs) Zero takers. Later his manager did get in and went across, probably because he was paid to do so. And there are many people today in this category when it comes to their relationship with Jesus. They are fascinated with him. They are intrigued by him. They even believe some things about him, that he was a good teacher, that he made a difference in this world, that he was an influence for good, but yet there isn't genuine faith. They believe about him, but they, they believe that he has walked across with a wheelbarrow, but they won't get in themselves. And if you're in that category this morning, we are so glad that you are here. Church is the best place to explore about who Jesus is. There may be some other people, though, in a different category. You've been around church for a really long time, perhaps your whole life. You know a lot about Christianity. You know what to say and not to say. But if you're honest, you've been keeping Jesus at arm's length for your entire life. You have not fully believed in him. You know a lot of stories about him. You think he was a good person, but you haven't believed in him. And if that's you, I pray that today God would speak to you specifically by his spirit through his word, and you might believe. And many of us do believe in Jesus, and for us, this text should be a reminder of the glories of our salvation. And let this text, if you're a believer, let it set you on fire to share this news with other people But we need to be clear in this first reality of the text. Fascination with Jesus is not enough to enter God's kingdom. It's not enough to enter eternal life. Much of the world is fascinated with Jesus, but it's not enough. As we continue in the story, let's observe how Jesus reacts to the incomplete faith of Nicodemus. Now we come to the next reality about entrance into God's kingdom in the text, and it's that only those who are born again can enter. You see, Jesus was not moved by Nicodemus' respect that he gave to him. He didn't want to have small talk about the miracles he had performed. Jesus gets straight to the point. Because he knows that Nicodemus' greatest need is to know how to see and enter God's kingdom. And by implication, it's the greatest need that we have as well. What Nicodemus didn't realize was that entering God's kingdom wasn't based on anything that he could do. This would have been very shocking to a Pharisee. But Jesus, being a patient teacher, he keeps explaining this in many different ways, in ways that Nicodemus can hear, even when Nicodemus doesn't get it. So in verses 3 to 8, Jesus explains the same truth many different ways, to make the same point on how a person can see and enter the kingdom of God. So how does he do this? First he says, you must be born again. Look at verse 3 if you have your Bibles or I'll read it out for you. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. When Jesus said truly, truly, this means this is truth, this is reality. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a declaration by Jesus. Nicodemus would have been wholly caught off guard by this. Because as a Jew and as a leader of the Jews, his belief was that all Jews, this was the common belief at the time, all Jews were going to see the kingdom of God, except the like extreme lawbreakers. Of course he was going to see the kingdom of God. Not only was he a Jew, he was a leader of the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher of the Jews. Everyone was going to get in. Well, I wonder if that sounds familiar. Because that is the prevailing view of our culture today. That everyone's going to get in. If you were to go ask somebody on the street, if we were just to all take a little field trip and go to Main Street out here and said, do you think you're going to heaven? I guarantee you nine out of 10 people, if not 10 out of 10 would say yes to that. And why would they say yes? Because I'm a good person. Because God is love. He's forgiving. I I, I haven't killed anyone. Uh, If you've ever talked to people who don't know Jesus, nearly everybody thinks they're getting it. That's the prevailing view of our world. Well, the problem is, is that Jesus doesn't hold this view. And only Jesus, as the main point, can show us how to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus here says that unless a person is born again, or it could be translated, it's a play on words, it could be translated born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, not even you, Nicodemus. Not even you, religious leader, teacher of others. Not even you can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Well, we know Nicodemus was cut off guard by how he responded. Look what he says in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, when you don't know uh, what you're saying, you say some really, crazy stuff if you don't understand. I mean, what what is Nicodemus talking about? He's not grasping the deeper meaning of what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus is thinking on natural terms, and Jesus is speaking on spiritual terms. So Jesus tries to explain it to Nicodemus in a second way. So look at at verse 5. How to be born again? Okay, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if Nicodemus didn't get it the first time, Jesus is trying a different way. And this time he is using scripture, a scripture that Nicodemus would have known as a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And likely right here, what, is, what Jesus is doing, he's referencing Ezekiel 36 In Ezekiel 36, in verse 25, the Lord says this to his people. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, cleanness is. It's a weird word there. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. This cleansing water. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what is Jesus doing to this teacher of the law with this Pharisee? What is he doing? He's telling Nicodemus that entrance into God's kingdom requires something outside of himself. The solution is not within you if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to have eternal life, Nicodemus. The solution is outside of you. You need God's cleansing water. You need his spirit within you. You need a new birth. Well, Jesus tries to explain it even more fully in the next verse, in verse six. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You can see Jesus. He's, he's a wonderful teacher. He just keeps drilling down and drilling down and drilling down. He's saying to Nicodemus that the kingdom of God can only be inhabited by those born of the spirit. This kind of talk shouldn't have been surprising to Nicodemus. He should have known Ezekiel 36. He should have known Jeremiah 31, that where God was going to write uh, the law on their heart. He should have known the whole trajectory of Old Testament Israel, of God's people failing to obey God. The whole story of the Old Testament is showing we cannot do it on our own. We need a savior. We need a new heart. We need a new life. But Nicodemus still isn't getting it. You know, if you're a teacher, you know that illustrations help people grasp truth. That's why I told that story about Blondin earlier. It helps you to grasp truth. And so Jesus, being an expert teacher, he gives Nicodemus an illustration. It's, It's clear Nicodemus isn't getting it. So in verse eight, he says this. The wind, okay, Nicodemus, listen. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that those who are born of the Spirit are mysteriously given new life by the Holy Spirit. Like the wind, the Spirit cannot be controlled or manipulated. You don't know where he's at work, but you can see the effects of where he's at work. So basically, in all these examples, Jesus is saying the very same thing in many different ways. He's saying that to enter God's kingdom, God's spirit must radically change your heart. You must be born again, born of the spirit, born of water and the spirit. Another term for this is regeneration. It's what theologians call regeneration. And since it's a prerequisite to getting into the kingdom of God, to entering the kingdom of God, we need to understand what does it mean really to be born again? What does it mean to have regeneration? Well, I appreciate theologian Wayne Grudem's definition of regeneration when he says, regeneration is a secret work of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. A secret work of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Again, it's not something that we can control. It's not something that we have a part in. It is a total gracious work of God. It's his work alone. We have no part in it. Why is that important? Well, because without regeneration, we would remain spiritually dead in our sins. Bible is very clear that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. And in case you haven't noticed, dead people don't do things. Dead people can't make themselves alive. And so through regeneration, God makes us alive so that we can respond to the gospel message. We don't know exactly how this happens because it's a secret work of God. Many times this happens at the same time when a gospel message is preached. So the gospel is preached and God, by his spirit, regenerates a a non-believer so that they could hear that message and respond. It's a total work of God that enables us to hear and respond to the gospel message. Another theologian, Louis Burkhoff, says, I love how he puts it. He says, in this act of God, referring to regeneration, the ear is implanted that enables man to hear the call of God to the salvation of the world. It's the ear that enables man to hear the call of God to the salvation of the world. Because before we are regenerated, we do not hear, we do not respond, because we're dead. Think of it this way I want you to think about where you were born. Now, some months ago, uh, someone over here, I won't name names because I didn't ask her. But uh, we, we found out we were born in the same hospital in Southern California, isn't that wild? <laughs> it's like, how random is that? So think about where you were born. What part did you have in that process? Yeah, it's a quick answer, nothing. You had, you had no part, there was, there was no part. Um, think about your parents. How, how many of you chose your family or your parents? Okay, no, no takers, nobody, nobody did that. The same, that's what what God is trying to show us here. Just like in natural birth, we did nothing to be born. So also in supernatural birth, uh, being born again, being born of the spirit, we do nothing to be born again. That's the message Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus and to all of us today. Just like when you were born the first time, to be born again means that you are not the one who initiates this. It comes from God. So it does beg the question, if you're a thinking person, a bright people, which you are, uh, you would, you'd be asking, well, if this being born again, being regenerated, is entirely a work of God, if it's a, also a prerequisite to entering God's kingdom, then how do I know if God has done this work in me? It's the natural question. And that is the question that Jesus is gonna address in our next section. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, let me suggest a couple takeaways from this section when we think about being born again. Two truths we need to remember. The first truth is this. These verses remind us that we can do nothing to contribute to God's spirit giving us new life. We were not part of doing this. Sometimes we can be deceived into thinking that there was something good in us that caused us to choose Jesus. Well, regeneration tells us otherwise. All glory in our salvation goes to God himself. We have, we have no contribution to this. And second, the second truth is that God's grace is so much greater than we could ever imagine. God's grace is so much greater than We could ever imagine these verses show us that when we were spiritually dead, God made us alive. When we were spiritually blind, he gave us sight. When we were spiritually deaf, he gave us ears to hear his voice. And these truths should result in thanksgiving and in praise to God. So if you know and love Jesus today, let this reminder lead you to thank him for opening your eyes to the spiritualities of who Jesus is and what he has done. Well, that brings us to the third main reality as, as we think about entering God's kingdom. And if, if we're born again or regenerated, if it's not something we can do or control, how can we enter God's kingdom? That third reality is this. You must believe in Jesus to enter God's kingdom. Well, as I stated earlier, Jesus knows some things, or sorry, Nicodemus knows some things about Jesus. He knows some truths about Jesus, but he hasn't yet believed in him. These verses prove that fact. So notice that after this born again talk from Jesus, Nicodemus is still confused. Look at verse nine. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. You know, when someone tells us something that we really don't get, uh, it's it's confusing. It's hard to understand. I was thinking about some years ago, I had a friend who was an engineer and he was a a specialized engineer in a certain field and he tended to talk when he talked about his work in specialized language. And this happens in all kinds of fields, medical field, even theology, But he would try to tell me what he was doing. And I tell you what, after that conversation, I would leave thinking, I have no clue what he just said. Like he was speaking English, I think, but it was something was just passing by. Nothing was happening. And that's what's happening here with Nicodemus. And that's what happens to us. If we are just in the flesh, if we are the natural person apart from being regenerated in Christ... We do not understand spiritual things. Someone might be talking, but we don't get it. Paul affirms this in the second chapter of uh, his first letter to the Corinthians in verse 14. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the point is, is that it doesn't matter how religious you are, how many degrees you have, like Nicodemus may have. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how long you've been going to church, how much money you have. If you don't have the Spirit of God within, you will not be able to understand spiritual things. You'll not be able to grasp them. And if you know and love Jesus, you know this to be the case. Because there was a time when you didn't know something, and then There was a moment, perhaps through the preaching of the gospel, through reading his word, where God opened up your eyes. And what used to seem like a foreign language now made sense. What you used to be indifferent to, now you were gobbling up and you loved and you devoured. You you wanted it. That's what God does through his spirit as we are regenerated. Well, things that once seemed to be in black and white are now in color. That's what God does. Well, Jesus in verse 11 continues. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What is Jesus doing? Well, he's showing Nicodemus that he knows the disbelief of his heart. And he knows the disbelief within the Pharisees. He has spoken truth as one who has come down from heaven. He is uniquely qualified to say the things that he has said. No one else has ascended into heaven and come down and said, these are the things I have seen. These are the things that I know. I know the way to the entrance into heaven, the kingdom of God. But he says, yet you, it's plural in Greek, you all, you Pharisees, do not believe. Jesus is saying he's the only one qualified to say these things. It's like he's saying to Nicodemus, well, since you don't understand these basics of how to enter the kingdom here on earth, these earthly things, there's no way that you're going to understand heavenly things, what the kingdom of like, what, what the glories that await those who are raised with Christ are like. And then Jesus drops the hammer and he shows how all this teaching comes together in verse 14. And again, Jesus is pointing Nicodemus, teacher of the law, expert in the What we call the Old Testament, he's he's pointing them back to Numbers 21 in verse 14 here. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is drawing upon Nicodemus's knowledge. He's saying, in effect, hey Nicodemus, remember that story? When Israel is wandering in the wilderness when they're grumbling against God, they're impatient with God. And what did God do? He sent serpents there and they bit the people and the people were dying. People, they remember how they called out to Moses and God told Moses to put a bronze serpent on a pole and he lifted up that pole so that whenever anyone was bitten, he would look or he or she would look on that serpent and they would live. Remember that story, Nicodemus. He says, it's just the same way with me, the Son of Man. He refers to himself from Daniel 7, another reference to the Old Testament. It's the same way with me. I must be lifted up, Nicodemus. I must be lifted up on the cross so that whoever believes in me might have eternal life. Because they are dead because of their sins. They have sinned against God and that I will be lifted up. And when they believe in me, they will have eternal life. Jesus is foreshadowing his coming death and resurrection when he will be lifted up for the sake of all who have sinned. He's also foreshadowing when he will be lifted up in glory and raised in that way. He's showing Nicodemus that the whole Bible points to him. Even this like little story in Numbers, this kind of seemingly insignificant story in Numbers. That's pointing to him. As as is Ezekiel 36 and all the other references, Daniel 7, these are all pointing to him. They all find their culmination in Jesus. So how can you receive eternal life, Nicodemus? And how, Hope Fellowship, can you, can we receive eternal life? It's by believing in Jesus. By jumping into that wheelbarrow knowing that he is the savior of the world. He is our hope of salvation. It's not by being appreciative of Jesus or being intrigued by Jesus or being fascinated by Jesus, but surrendering our will to his, giving our life to him, putting our faith in him for our salvation. Well, to come back to that question, how can you know if you have been born again? How can you know if you have been regenerated, if God has done that work in your heart? You can know if you believe in Jesus. You can know you have been regenerated. If you believe in Jesus, God has done that work in you. It's proof that you have been regenerated. We've learned about this earlier in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, you can turn there. Otherwise, I'll read it. John said this, But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. So if you're wondering this morning, if you are born again, if God has regenerated you by his spirit, you need to ask this question of yourself am I presently trusting in the blood of Christ for my salvation? Am I trusting in what Jesus did for me to be saved? And if you could answer that question positively, then yes, you have been born again. But if you haven't, or if you're unsure, if you are believing in Jesus, let today be the day that you put your trust in him. Let today be the day that you come into the kingdom. Because you don't have to wait until you die to come into the kingdom. The kingdom comes now. It's an already, not yet. You come now and it's fully consummated when we die. Well, for those of us who are in Christ, let this passage remind us that salvation is a miracle from God. Jonah 2.9 says, Salvation comes through the Lord. So just as we could not save ourselves, so we also cannot save another human being. I know that many of us have a real deep passion to share our faith with those around us. And that is a good desire. That is a God-given desire. But maybe today you need to be reminded, one, God has just called you to be faithful, to tell people that Jesus has died for sins and they can have salvation. They can be forgiven. They can have life eternal. You can't save them, but God by his spirit can, and does, and will. And he's at work everywhere, even where we're not really sure that there's a chance, like with a person like Nicodemus. Well, the story of Nicodemus should encourage us, whether you're a follower of Jesus today or just checking uh, out Christianity and what's, wh- what he's all about. It should encourage us because here in chapter three, Nicodemus is a timid semi-believer in Christ. He, he hasn't believed in him, but he believes some things about him. But then we get to chapter 7, and, and there's a progression. We see this transformation throughout John. In chapter 7, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus with his colleagues, with all the other bigwigs, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, and he, and he stands up for Jesus in the council. And then as we get to the end of the story in John 19, we see Jesus Nicodemus with uh, Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus down from the cross. He's publicly identifying himself with Jesus. He's opening himself to scorn and ridicule. And what I believe John is showing us and what God is showing us is that this is a transformation of a life. This is a transformation of someone who had some interest and fascination with Jesus to someone who's willing to identify with Jesus in his death. And the point is, is that If a Pharisee, who most Pharisees hated Jesus, if a Pharisee like that can come to Christ, and as we'll see in two weeks, if a despised Samaritan woman can come to Christ, then no one is beyond the grasp of the Lord Jesus. His spirit is at work all around. We don't know where he's working, but he is calling people to himself everywhere. So how do you know if you have been born again, it's by believing in Jesus Christ, by trusting in what he has done for you on that cross. So today I would, I would ask, and God is asking us to believe in that truth, and if you don't believe, that you might come to him and then share that truth with others. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are in awe of your plan of salvation that you would call us, your enemies, those who are running in the other direction from you, you would call us to yourself and you would call us sons and daughters of you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he had to be lifted up so that we could have life And we thank you for your spirit that has worked in us a miracle that we could have new birth, new life. We know that salvation is from you, Lord, and we pray that you would be pleased to save many others, even some here today. We pray that in Christ's name.